and I think the truth is that's what being an entrepreneur is. Like you have to believe that you're going to get there. There are wise words peppered everywhere today on episode 116. Let's go. What's going on? This is Katie Kermitzos. I'm your host of Biz Women Rock. This is the place where you will hear really inspirational and really honest stories from business women who have great journeys to share so that your business can truly be touched by it. I've got an amazing show for you today, but before we begin, it's time for our Biz Women Wednesday series. Every Wednesday, we shine the light on a woman who's been an amazing part of the Biz Women Rock community and give her a little love. Today, that light goes on Irma Davila, who's the president of ID Marketing and Events. She and her team do marketing strategy, brand development, web design, SEO services, social media, I mean, all of this stuff under that banner. So she provides great marketing and digital services for businesses. But what really intrigued me is Irma's favorite quote, which is, Do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. And that's by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Irma, great job kicking butt out there. Keep it up. If you would like to be highlighted on the Biz Women Wednesday series, or if you would like to find out more about Irma and her team, then just go to bizwomenrock.com. You are in for a treat today because my guest is Marla Cott. She's the CEO of Imprints Plus, which makes name badges and signage for associations and companies and people all over the world. Um, Holy cow, she's a $10 million business. And in this interview, um, we actually, it surprised me a little bit. We didn't end up going into sort of the functionality of the internals of her business. We ended up talking very philosophically about what it takes to really be a leader, how she stays innovative, and why innovation is so important to have in business, why knowing your business's numbers at all times is one of the most empowering things that you could do for your business, and how to truly listen to your customers. And by the way, this girl should know because some of her customers are Carnival Cruise Lines, MGM Resorts, Office Depot, the U.S. Armed Forces, Marriott. I mean, she kind of knows a little about this topic. (laughs) Anyway, it was an intriguing conversation, and uh, you're really going to take so much away from it. So let's do it. Marla, what's going on? Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I could not be more excited to have this conversation with you today because the the main core of your business is really um, selling a lot of like name badges and signage. And, you know, my husband and I run a local association. And so we're very familiar with products like this. <laughs> and um, and I'm amazed at the business behind what produces these things and, and all of the, the businesses and people that they really touch throughout this. So I'm really excited to know about your journey. And you have a pretty unique um, manner in which you actually became the CEO of this company. So can you tell that story? You know, it's a well-known story. I actually uh, invested in a business. I put $20,000 in to help out a friend. And you know how they say never go into business with friends. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, this one, we actually went to, we knew each other after university. We dated guys who were friends. Those guys are long gone, but we'll still, we're still partners now years later. Oh, wow. Uh, so I invested $20,000. Uh, 
I ended up signing at the bank, which probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. And I was a professional accountant, so I probably knew it wasn't the smartest thing to do. <laughs> the bank called the loan. Oh, wow. Now, think about that. So the bank called the loan when it was $600,000. And I'm not sure at that time I even had $600,000. Wow. I called in a consultant to go in and see what was going on. And it turned out at that moment, it became clear that if I was going to make back the money, because I was the one with more assets, I had to fly to Vancouver and start running the business. Where were you at the time? I was living in Montreal in uh, across the country. Wow. I was on the East Coast, and I made the decision very quickly because I had to go back and make the money. And so, as I said, we're still very good friends and excellent partners, but it was a trying time. <laughs> so, uh, what I mean, they found your partners founded the company. They, you know, they founded Imprint Plus, and they were kind of building it, and obviously, just wasn't really working. So, how how old was the company when you ended up coming in? You know, it was it was it had gone through different transitions. So, when you start a company in 1982, they originally started making metal uh, card holders. And it evolved into a name badge company. And at the time when I joined, we had just developed an innovative new product for putting names on badges, which sounds sort of silly in a way, but it's really just a better mousetrap for an age-old product. And I think the investment in the uh, components we needed to do this well ended up being where the money got spent. So that, you know, when you develop a product, that's where the money got spent. And really, in 1982, it sort of was a, you know, a mom and pop business up until probably when I got there in the year 2000. We were doing about a million dollars at that time. So I got to ask you, because you were friends and you, you know, you're very quick to say like you're still friendly, but that had to be a really trying time for you to kind of (laughs) literally say, hey, um, I'm going to take over this business because it's not working well this other way and I need to protect my investment. Like, what what was that conversation like? And and I'm asking this because there may be people who are listening who have a business partner or are in some way financially tied to somebody and they're not their investment is not being protected and being handled the way that they would like it to be handled. So what did you do to be able to maneuver that conversation so that you kind of ended up in a really positive place? I think it's a really good question because you go into partnership and to be honest, you don't check all the things you should really check. And I was an accountant, so I was a CPA. I should have known better. So if I didn't do it, how many people don't do that? When you go into business with someone, you both have to be financially committed. You both have to have assets. If you're the one funding it completely and the other person has no assets, you have to really look at your risk properly. It was a very difficult time and a difficult conversation. And really, we had to have professionals come in and really explain the facts of life. So I had consultants come in and say, you know what, this is, you know, and we, I sat down and said, if I'm coming there, I'm going to be the CEO and this is what I expect. And, you know, we really hammered it out. And one of the most important things we hammered out, which I think people should do, even with friends, is we hammered out who was going to have what job. In other words, we weren't all going to do everything. You know how in a business you start and everyone does everything? Yeah. We actually isolated the jobs and said, my job is going to be the CEO. You are going to be a salesperson. 
And to this day, my partner, Ellen Flanders, is a top-notch salesperson. Wow. Well, I know. I- it was really tough, I have to say. I think that's really important because um, as, when you're working, when you have a business partner in any sense, or really team in any sense, um, it's vital to really identify those roles. You know, my company here locally has gone through so many transitions over six and a half years. And um, recently we brought in somebody, uh, we contract somebody to actually like handle a lot of our events and do the logistics. And that totally changed the role of everyone else. So we kind of had to do a whole revamp of what are the team roles? Like, what is your role now? What are you in charge of? What are you not in charge of? And, and creating those boundaries, um, which I think is vital because then it just... Um, alleviate so many hiccups and arguments and time and energy. So um, that was a very, very smart thing to do right away. And you know what? You don't only do it once. You do it often. As businesses change and grow, you really have to look at all the job descriptions and what everyone's doing. And does it fit the business at $6 million? Does it fit the business at $10 million? You know, it's not just a one shot. And that, I think, is really important, too. You really have to reevaluate the roles of not only yourselves or the executive team or the management, but all the staff, and are they performing what needs to happen at different uh, stages. You know, you bring up a really good point. And I've always heard, you know, obviously, business evolves, business grows. And I've always heard the adage that, like, what got us to... 100,000 in sales is not what's right. going to get us to a million. And what got us to a million is not going to be what gets us to 10 million. Have you gone through those stages um, with Imprint Plus? Like, have you have you gone through some stages where you've had to do a complete revamp in order to kind of get you to the next level? And describe a little bit about what that was like. We have. You know, we've done it, first of all, because we went through different channels. Like, we started working with office products and with a new industry group. We started working and working with dealers for office products and at specialty to uh, sell our product under the Mighty Badge. That was a really different structure and really, you know, to get more, um, really strategically to gain more ground locally in local markets, different sales structure, different selling style, whole different attitude on how to do that. Had to change the people up. Mm. You know, add people who could do that. Plus, today, in today's world, you're running a business that's $3 million. When it goes to $6 million, you have to be retrained for your job. It's just not the same job. So we really look for people who want to grow and be trained. You have to keep educating people. They have to keep taking courses, not only for growth, but also new things. I mean, look at marketing today. So different five years ago to what it is now. Absolutely. Now, you know, so you really have to work with the people and say, okay, these are the people that we go. We need something new from them. They have to be retrained. Either they're going to work that way or maybe they want to work in a smaller company. And maybe it's just not the right fit anymore. And it's sad sometimes because you really like the people you're working with. But to be honest, they may not be happy in a growth scenario, which is a constantly changing environment. And you don't want to put them in a situation where they're uncomfortable in their jobs. Yeah. Now, as the leader of your company, how, like, what are you doing? What strategies are you taking that allow you to stay current on on kind of how your company's evolving so you know when to retrain, so you know when, 
you know, kind of you need a new system for something or you know when somebody's not working out. Like what are you doing on a regular basis that allows you to kind of keep keep base with all that stuff? Like really keep keep tuned into it. You know, we definitely use consultants, I have to say. We've hired people to come in and look at our company as a whole. We went from, uh, one of the things that happened is we went from shipping in three to five days to 24 hours. Wow, that's a big change. But that is today's world. Yep. You know, it's instant. So we had to move from that. We brought in a lean team and leaned up our production and then had to train the people and brought in, you know, did the whole lean training then we did it right through the company because it's not only the production, it's also every aspect of the company has to move faster. Things are fast these days. So we have to constantly bring in people to train and evaluate our systems so that we're constantly changing them and moving towards a more uh, current status. So you have to, at some point in your business, bring in people who are current in their niche evaluate what you're doing and give you the best practices and you have to grow to meet them. I love that. Now, Marla, when you came on board, the company was at about a million in revenue. To date, um, you know, as this conversation is happening in October of 2014, you're at 10 million in revenue. There have been some major things that you have implemented that have allowed that to happen and have, you know, really propelled that growth. What would you say maybe one or two of those things have been that have really been the impetus behind the growth that you've had? I think uh, really, you know, any good company will tell you listening to your customers. Customers are the ones that are going to tell you what they love about your product and what they expect you to improve. And guess what? Today, you've got to improve it fast if you're going to keep this. You know, so also really... Uh, coming up with innovative products that save time, money, and are stylized to meet brand requirements. You know, everything, everything you're doing now is really, you're trying to meet the demands of companies that are so, in the marketplace are so hard that your products have to really flow through and live in their ecosystem. Hmm. That's very... You know, they have to match them. Yeah. I, I just find that so interesting. And I would love to kind of dig into this idea of innovation and how you really live in innovation. Because I think, you know, I, I, I've said this a lot, but like I tend to come from business from a very organizational and systematic vantage point. Like that I love organizing the businesses and and creating the systems and kind of growing it that way and making it making it as well as I can kind of run like a well-oiled machine. And I think sometimes that innovation lives in a very different space. But I think it's very, um, you have to have innovation in business. Can you talk a little further about that? Maybe how you've seen that in your business career, um, specifically with this company, like how and why and what, what have been like the, the things that you have actually done to, to it really implement? First of all, I think you must have the systems and all the improvements you're talking about. So to me, that's a given. You have to have that working in your favor When you move to product innovation, you know, you're working three years ahead. So you're always looking at what's going to be, you know, because it takes a while to innovate a product. We started out with a product that actually did name badges on the spot, made them green and reusable. Cost effective means people aren't going to buy anything that's green that's not saving money. 
and uh, it has to be uh, something that saves administrative time as well. Got like it. you just can't, if it doesn't save time and money, no one's interested. So any product you have, our product was always tied to software. You know, software is, it's just like an app. You know, when you get a product today, it has to be on the spot instant and have an app that works with it. And so we always had software tied to our product, which means we're developing software all the time. We actually install, amazingly enough, 10,000 software packages every year. Tell, tell me a little bit about what that means. And maybe this is actually a good, a good time for you to describe exactly what's under your umbrella. But how, how does software have, have to do with the actual like name badges and the products and the signage that you're selling? When you buy signage and um, name badges, the real question is how are you going to get the name or the information on the product? So how is that going to happen? And is it going to, and also you want it to look completely professional and as if it was just engraved on, for example. Now engraving is not reusable, so everything we do is reusable. But what we have is we developed a software product and insert sheets that are very specialized and they actually took four years to develop so that when you use our software, you can type anything in, it prints on a little insert sheet, it's non-adhesive and it comes off and gets uh, slipped into a lens cover, snaps on a plate. Oh, wow. So it's actually a name badge or signage kit. And when you get it, you get a kit that gives you a do-it-yourself all-inclusive uh, uh, components, I guess like, you know, Ikea furniture would be a good example, right? When you get our name badge kit, you can make professional, you know, brand, uh, beautiful uh, name badges or signage that will do all the graphics you want, but the software allows you to do that in seconds, very simply. So software has been a key component to our product right from the beginning. That's so interesting because as someone who does that a lot, I mean, you're talking about an entirely step, a bigger step above than I'm going to create this Word document, create a template, and then print out these name badges to insert them here, you know, into the plastic. That's not what you're talking about. You're talking about an entire, um, you know, customized software that already has everything on there that you need. They can look like, you know, dress into the nines, professional, and, you know, and then, but you're able to take care of it. So it takes the printing part of it kind of out of your hands, but empowers your customers to be able to do it to a really high-end degree. That's exactly it. They come out with something that's really stylized, really looks fabulous. And that's what, you know, and, and that's the key, really. It's, you know, one of the best things about us, or one of the unique part about our programs, is we're one of the few companies that has crossed all the industries. We can sell to any industry, whether it's retail, hospitality, uh, long-term care facilities. Uh, we sell kids through Staples and Office Depot, for example. Other name badge companies are specific to an industry. Right. That's very true. You know, they don't have the look and feel of a really high-end product. And that's the difference, really. But be cost-effective and, you know, but be all those other things, right? Right. Um, They'll fit into the budget nicely. 
Yeah, no kidding. Now, you mentioned the fact that all of your products are green, that they're reusable. Was that a very deli- – is that how the the company was set up in the very beginning? Were all your products that way? Or was there a definitive shift um, under your leadership to kind of go towards that for a specific reason? That's a really funny story. You're going to love this. When we first did the product, we actually wanted it to be permanent. So we did – we had a plotter. This is – before the days of using other systems, but we had a plotter that inked the name on the badge. And we really had hoped it was permanent. We were in Fortune magazine with new products to watch, called it a permanent system. We uh, sold it at that time to Carnival Cruise Line. And I mean, you're talking about for us at the time, a huge sale of $100,000. Okay. And the names came up. Oh no. <laughs> So it wasn't permanent. The ink we were using, which was supposed to be permanent ink, when someone used hairspray, the names came off. No way. What kind of of repercussions happened because of that? That was an amazing experience. So what was amazing about it is the customers loved the product, and they were willing to help us find the solution so that they would be permanent. And what we did was we designed, so here we are, it's not working, we're at risk of everything. Right. Which, you know, by the way, is entrepreneurial. I mean, that's what it's about. (laughs) So we're standing there, and it's now not permanent, and we're standing, and I went to Carnival, I remember, I'll never forget, the guy was there, and he was, you know, really yelling at me, and I had to accept that. I mean, what can you do? We went back, and we came up with a lens cover, a very nice domed lens cover, to cover the badge, and then we realized we created a reusable product. Interesting. So that came out of one of our biggest mistakes ever. And then we decided in 2000, I think it was 2005, I'm going to say, or 2006, that was when sort of the green movement started, that every product after that was going to be a green product. Wow. But isn't that funny? It came out of a huge mistake. That's always where the best ideas come from. I, you know, I hear so, I hear that so often on this show, which is like, oh yeah, you know, my lowest moment came up with, you know, what has created some of the biggest highs in my company. <laughs> I will say it was a stressful period at best. <laughs> I'm sure that's putting it lightly. <laughs> yeah, really. And you know what? It went on for a good like four to five months before we could come up with a really excellent solution. Wow. But they hung in with us, our customers. Well, I want to get into the fact that you have, uh, you know, you did mention that you're sort of over all industries, and you have some major clients. I mean, you have you have MGM Resorts as a client, Office Depot, um, Carnival, obviously, the U.S. Armed Forces. Um, for somebody who's listening, who really, you know, has a product that can really make an impact on that large of a of a level. Um, can you explain your story as to how you got those clients? Like, how did you actually get those customers? You know, I can talk about some of the ones, especially in hospitality, um, where, um, and, and all of these really, you know, I mean, it's a terrible thing to say, but you get a customer one at a time. You know, no matter what you have to be, we still do very well at trade shows because people have to see, touch, and feel our product. So as much as people say, you know, you can you know, go through the internet and do it. Still, people like to see what they're actually buying. We do a lot of sampling still. But one of the things we did that to to really have an impact is let's say we were trying to do more in hospitality. 
I'm going to use Marriott as an example. They're an excellent customer. I have enormous respect for them as a as a um, hotel as hoteliers. Really, enormous respect for them. You know, I started out and I and I was young, so I think I sold we sold like ten Marriotts, right? And I said, now I'm going to go see head office Marriotts. We sold ten. I thought that was a huge number. I didn't know at the time they had over 3,000. Oh, wow. <laughs> or 5,000, but I thought 10. So, you know, they were lovely. They came back to us and they said, you know what? Get another 30 and we'll talk. Wow. You know, yeah. I think you have to set your sights on what customer you're going after and really target and really pay attention to what their needs are. Today, you have to understand exactly what their ecosystem looks like. How do they operate? How do they use your product? You have to know so much, and it's so much easier now to get that information online, but you really have to be knowledgeable when you're going to sell something. I know. I I love that. I mean, and, and people are willing to see a great idea. They're willing to listen to it. For women who own a business, the women's network is very strong. We bank, we connect, all of these networks give you the opportunity to Go and see customers that you might never have an opportunity to see and demo your products or services. And I, that's unbelievable, you know, the women diversity connection. But we didn't start out that way. We didn't know what that was about. We really just called and people just, you know, we said we have a great new product we want you to see. And, you know, they were kind. And people are interested in something new and something innovative. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And really great advice there about just making sure you know what your client's, um, you know, environment is like. I think that's so true and such a great statement. Um, you know, I, I really want to talk about the fact that you, um, you're a very determined leader. I mean, like you're somebody who, in all the research that I did, and it, it's very obvious in this conversation that if you want something, you're just going to go for it and you're going to, you're going to go big and you're just going to go and you're going to get it. Um, and you know, you run your company very well, very intelligently, always having somebody else kind of look in, making sure you're constantly evolving. But I do know, and I did read that you had open heart surgery in 2007 and for months actually kind of were running your company from afar, um, while you're recovering from that. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? And, and the reason I'm asking is because, Um, You know, I think that, you know, many people listening um, are are very hard drivers. I mean, my goodness, the biz women are our community, like just hard drivers, very passionate women, you know, and, um, and it's, we don't, we, yeah, we don't often think about the fact that like, you know, something can happen. Like what, what did that really look like for you? What, what really happened in business behind the scenes that maybe not, not everyone got to see? You know, I think that one of the things you always have to do, so, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, building a business to sell. You know, one of the things about building it always to sell is you always have to have a person behind you. There always has to have someone that can step in and be in your space and manage it, and I do have that. In addition to my business partner who sells, she doesn't do any managerial. We have another um, person we've brought in as a partner who, um, who is now the president, I'm the CEO. But at that time, it really was a moment where she had to test her own abilities. And I think it was, you know, 
it was a it was elective to some extent, but I had to have open heart surgery, and it really took me out for eight weeks. Wow! And you're gone. You know, like you're now going, and you know, as soon as you go out there, it's going to be you're not going to be there for two months. And you're right, all of us are hard driving and we're completely caught up in the day-to-day as well as the overstructure. But um, I had, really you have to have an excellent team and always think like that. Now one of the smartest things I ever heard someone say, and you know, it's always the business advice you get, is pay yourself well what you think you deserve and pay your people well, and then you have to get the business to the point that it can afford that. I think that's really true. Right. And, you know, we always shortchange ourselves sometimes when we're building because we keep saying we're building, we're building, but at some point you have to turn around and look at that and revamp. I think what I was lucky about was I had excellent support behind me, and they were able to really, no problem, I mean, they were just sad because, you know, I'm like like a driver, right, and a motivator. But to be honest, they did an exceptional job. And that really is something that's great because you start to see these people really can move forward and grow. Mm, I love that. Marla, what do you think has been one of the main ways that you have evolved as a businesswoman throughout all these years? I would say I'm... uh, (laughs) There's two things. One thing I would say is that I understand very clearly when people, uh, I, I definitely understand the sort of condition of working better, and I think that I understand some people don't want to be management. They want to just come, do their job, go home, and some people want to manage. So I think my understanding of the people that work with me has grown enormously. And I'm more uh, under. I, I listen closer to what their career goals are, and um, definitely take that into consideration when you're looking at your uh, structure. Also, I understand clearly that my job is to make sure the right people are on the bus, and we've heard that many times. Yep. I don't do the detail work. I understand the detail. I'm very good at it. I give very clear direction, and I don't give someone something to do with that very clear direction, but I do not do detail work. I'm way more working at the strategic level and constantly looking to the future. But you're right, I'm very uh, passionate about what I do, and I'm very, you know, focused. I love it. and, I think we all are focused. Yeah. And, you know, um, one thing I am definitely gathering is that, and that I'm very curious about, is what do you do to kind of keep yourself up? And I don't mean this in a motivational way, but what I mean is that I don't hear a lot of, like, self-doubt in your story. And, um, you know, I myself can definitely say that I've had so much self-doubt in my business career, and it's just like a matter of continuing to evolve and grow and look back and appreciate it and all that stuff. But I don't hear a lot of that from you. What what do you think it is or what sort of practices that you, do you have or have you implemented over the years that have really eradicated self-doubt from your business experience? I definitely look at risk as calculated risk, and I also, one of the best, uh, 
tools we have are live real-time reports. You know, our reporting is excellent. I can, I can be anywhere in the world and I can tell you exactly what's going on. And that has given us a level of confidence. We can act quickly if there's a problem. We really know what's going on every second. So, so just that's so really given us, you know, I think the numbers are critical. You have yeah. to understand your financial statements. That's one thing I see with a lot of women in business and men too. They don't really understand the numbers. I, we have cash flow. Uh, we know what our cash flow is every single day. We know exactly where the money is. And we're, you know, it's true. I don't, I'm very confident that we're going to get, I want to own a category and I'm confident we're going there. I love it. And I just to, I want to ask one more question just to get a little deeper with that because um, that's a it's a really good concept like okay know your numbers like what reports do you actually pull every single day? What do what what are those reports? Uh, you know, I know exactly what our sales are every day. I know what industry. Um, I know how many calls, how many sales we've turned. We know the inventory movement we like we really in real time have all the information of the company but i think typically what uh, what w like we have projections and cash flows and a budget that we prepare once a year that takes a long time it actually takes 3 months to prepare our final budget and then we feed this budget into um, our systems and we match the budget in every department every single day. Love it. So we know exactly where we are every single day. That's great. And so I love, I I love I you saying say. that. What? I love you saying that because I think there's so – you're right. I mean, numbers are just so powerful. They will give you the realities of what's going on. So it, it's very, very empowering to, to be knowledgeable about that at, at any given moment. And it allows you to make critical decisions – that are based on results in real time. You know, like it's one thing is number, you know, that saying numbers don't lie. Right. I mean, it really takes you and puts you in the driver's seat in your business. I love that. Well, Marla, I want to transition into our final component of this interview called the favorite five. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So, Question number one, you knew I was going to ask this one. So what is your favorite business book? You know, I have three books, and I actually knew you were going to ask it, so I put them down. One is Built to Sell by John Warlow. Probably pronounced that name wrong. <laughs> I love that because it really has nothing to do with selling. It's just how to position your business so that you don't have to be. So if you have to have open heart surgery, you're not the only one that can run something. Yep. Great so book. that really, I think, is critical. Roy Ossing has a book called Be Different or Be Dead. He, that's a marketing book, and I think that really is today's world. If you're not different and unique, in your, especially in our niche market or in any niche, you're just not going to make it. I you love know? it. Great suggestion. And the other one, Craig Kramer, K-R-A-I-G, K-R-A-M-E-R. -E he has CEO Tools, the Manager's Workshop. Excellent book. 
they give you all these sort of reports. Remember we were talking about reports? Yeah. A lot of reports that can tell you, that can put you in the driver's seat. And that, I think, is really important. I love that. Thank you for those. Okay, um, now you were living in a Montreal. I love Montreal. And I love Vancouver, too, by the way, two of my favorite cities. But I want to know what has been one of your favorite places to go in Montreal? Like maybe a cool little spot that you really love. You know, Montreal is really home for me. You know, so I'm just trying. There's so many places, but I guess I look at it and say uh, St. Lawrence Street, where there's all little shops and restaurants, Mm -hmm. is just a really fun area. I love it. You know, it's, it's just such, or where McGill is, McGill University, Mm-hmm. That's sort of in the center of the city. And all around there is all student and fabulous little neighborhoods. Right. And it's just wonderful. I w- it's a good city. It's very manageable. Yeah, I was there, and I was—I've only been there once, and it was October. And I'm—I'm I'm from the desert in Arizona. I live in Florida now, so I have no idea what fall looks like. I just have never—it's <laughs> so foreign to me. So I went up there in fall, and all of a sudden—I mean, I thought that it looked like a painting everywhere I went, with the colors of the leaves, and oh my god, it was so beautiful. I just—I yeah, it's like Mount Royal. There's a mountain in the center of the city. It's magnificent. Absolutely. But I have to say, the weather's better in uh, Tampa. <laughs> It's a lot better. I love it here. It's gorgeous right now. So, um, okay. How about your favorite way to relax? You're a hard driver. How do you relax? And what's one of your favorite ways of doing that? You know, I definitely, you know, I just, just had a uh, grandson. Oh. So that's like been the most, like, like he's four weeks old. Oh my gosh. That (laughs) is just just amazing. I would say that will be my best way to relax. (laughs) But really, for me, the best way to relax for me is reading and reading all kinds of trashy novels. <laughs> and I also like I also like watching Real Housewives. I'm telling you, I'm one of those people. I have lots of or uh, love all these shows about all the places you can go and buy homes. You know, all those shows about yeah. homes all over the world. Yeah, I really love to just sit back and not think about. You know, one of my uh, mentors once said to me, when you take time off, just get your mind out of the business. Mm. And I have no problem with that. You know, (laughs) the Housewives of New Jersey allow me to do that any old time. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Um, Shopping's good, too, I have to say. Shopping is good. Uh, I don't know if that beats the Real Housewives of of New Jersey. Who knows? (laughs) No, it's just so funny. How how about one of your favorite travel spots? Barcelona. Hands down, huh? That's one of my favorite travel spots. You're not the first person to say that. Barcelona and anything Italian. Oh. I definitely love both. Very nice. But Um, I have to say, Florida in the winter is an excellent place to be. I'm telling you. Where do you come down here? You know, I I have a sister, actually, who lives in Boca Raton. We have an office in Fort Lauderdale, but really, I usually go to South Beach. Nice. Very, very nice. Ironically, I don't know South Beach that well. I'm, I'm about four hours away from Miami, and I've only been there like twice in the 12 years that I've lived here. But um, uh, yeah, I just I haven't spent a lot of time down there. It's always like the place to go. Okay, last question. Um, and then we're going to wrap this up. Um, I have read about you that you love athletics and that um, you kind of love working out. What's one of your favorite things to do to work out? You know, I mostly go work out with a trainer. I have to be honest, I love weight training. 
Nice. I like yoga also, but I love weight training. So I sort of feel like that keeps me uh, going and it keeps me strong. I love to be strong. Mm. And that's definitely, so what, that's my favorite thing to do. I love it's that. It's really weight training. Isn't that funny? No, I don't think that's funny at all. I think that's wonderful. Oh, well, Marla, I really want to thank you so much for your time. It has been an absolute delight sharing a, a little bit more about your business. And, um, you know, just uh, you have so many great things to share. And you warned me in the beginning that, yes, this was going to, uh, there's so much information to squeeze in just a little bit of time. So I really appreciate you moving through a lot of that with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Very much fun. And that was the brilliant Marla Cott. Wow. Very innovative woman, very determined, um, lots of passion and lots of focus. I really admire that about her. Hope you got a lot out of this. Um, Man, she just had like piece after piece of really great information. I mean, I can tell you just for myself that the whole idea of like really knowing my company's numbers, um, it's always something that I know intellectually and I'm trying to figure out ways to do it, but it really hasn't been until this past year after six years of business that I finally got like, okay, these are the exact reports I need to pull. These are the numbers that I need to see. This is how often I need to see it. So it's a constant evolution. And um, I just really appreciated her kind of going into exactly all the different numbers she knows. And I do want to encourage you, if you perhaps felt a little overwhelmed that, oh my gosh, those are way too many numbers to be able to keep track of. Just start with something. Just start keeping track of something and let it evolve. And that was a huge thing that I got from her was just continue to grow and and evolve along the way. So thanks so much for being here. I can't wait to have you on the next episode. If you got something great out out about this, I always love to hear about it. So uh, feel free to shoot me an email or go on to bizwomenrock.com and uh, contact me through there and let me know what you got or post it up on social media. I would love for everyone to hear it. These are great, great nuggets and you are going to walk away learning something different than someone else did. So um, I love when we can all share that together. I'll see you on the next episode. Yeah, I think that's what it is, though. All the mistakes you make lead you to the better, lead you to a better place. That's very true. I feel like um, when you have those painful moments that you have to walk through and those fires that you have to walk through, the, the, the fact that you choose to walk through it will ensure that like there's something there's something there on the other side where you're supposed to be that was better than before you walk through it, you know?